All right, uh, we are going to be in the book of John. As we're going through the book of John, uh, we're covering the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Uh, so that's chapters 13 to 17. We've already covered up until chapter 15. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. These fine folks will get you one. And uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is open up to John 15. We were there last week. I'm going to still have you remain seated while I walk you through the remainder of John 15. And then I'm going to have you stand for the reading of John 16 for a few verses, because that's what we're going to focus uh, our teaching on this morning. Um, now this, like the song that the Lord gave Dane and the previous song that the Lord gave John, it's almost like God is doing a work uh, in the fellowship of aligning us. And um, this has been a constant theme from last week to Wednesday night to even now. I was deeply inspired by a lunch I had with a member of the congregation where we were both talking about prayer and it really, um, it affected me and, and hearing the words come out of my mouth, I'd never heard them before and hearing the response and both of us trying to wrap our mind around this this concept of prayer that the Lord has given us. And it's fitting because uh, John 13 to 17, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life before he's crucified, John goes into great detail. If the rest of the Bible were w- written with such detail, it'd be six times as large as it is. So John is taking 24 hours in chapters 13 to 17 and really pouring in detail. Chapter 17, which we're going to cover in the next three weeks, starting next week and on, is going to cover the priestly prayer of Jesus, the power of prayer. He, he prays in John 17. It's a profound prayer. And I, that's why I was touched when I had lunch with a, a brother in the Lord. I, it was on Friday. Chapter 16 that we're covering this morning is uh, going to be talking about a gift God's given us, and that's the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. But the conclusion of 15, I wanted to cover that right now. So uh, we finished verse 8 last week of John 15. Let me read to you and encapsulate the remainder of John 15. Starting with verse 9, you can read while you're seated. Jesus speaking, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. Now, by the way, it's the only religion in the world that commands its followers to love one another. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How much did Jesus love us? Amen? And, and if you didn't get it, he explains it to you. Look. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us, the scripture says. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. So we now get to hear the game plan of the Father. We're in. We are aligned with what he is doing in a fallen world to redeem man. We have direct access to that by prayer. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father. I've made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and what? Bear fruit. We studied that last week. Who's the fruit for? Us or for the lost? Lost. And so we are planted, vineyards planted for fruit. That fruit is love, joy, peace, right? Okay. That you would bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, how do you ask the Father? It's called prayer. We don't, we don't employ prayer as we should in the body of Christ. 
These things I command you that you love one another. Now, go over to verse 18. Jesus is pointing out, you're going to love one another, you're going to love the world, you're going to provide that fruit for them. He says, I just want to, I want you to know what's going to happen. Verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So you're going to provide them fruit. They may just pull the fruit off the vine, turn it into wine and abuse it. Give them more fruit. Love them. And, and, and love one another as I have loved you. How? Lay down your life. Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for friends. Serve one another and bear fruit. And, and if you wonder how to do that, ask the Father. It's prayer. But understand this, when you do that, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you and have a visceral reaction to you. And, and, and don't be shocked because a servant, which is you, isn't any greater than his master. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. Okay, and Jesus was a lamb silent to the slaughter. And so as we see this, it's like, okay, Lord, that's heavy. And then you drop down to verse 26. Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth. Everyone say spirit of truth. truth. Not the spirit that bears witness of the truth. He is the spirit of truth. He is the embodiment and, and, and in complete distinction there are no other truths he is the truth the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify of me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning so the whole idea simply put is we bear fruit we love one another we love the lost the result of that is we get persecuted and hated but i'm going to give you a comforter not just a comforter like you wear, that you put in a bed. I'm going to bring a comforter who's going to be the spirit of complete embodiment of absolute, non-compromising, uh, intolerant truth. Absolute. And he is going to give you wisdom and discernment. If any man lacks wisdom, he'll give it to you. How do you get it? You ask. I ask the Father, you ask of me, I will give it. And he will abide with you. And now we come to John 16. How does this work? Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. John chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus speaking in relation to the Holy Spirit. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Uh, Quite frankly, we're all struggling in this fallen world. How do we deal with this mess? I have spoken this to you so that you would not be made to to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues, yes. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that they offer God service. And these things they will do to you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. He, he knew they couldn't handle it. But now we're aware in this world that we need this help. And so this is what he does, verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, meaning the Father. And none of you ask me, where are you going? You all know that now. Jesus said, I've explained it to you. Verse 6. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 7, nevertheless, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Everyone say advantage. Advantage. 
It means to your benefit. It's to your advantage that I go away. Wait a minute. We're in a fallen world. Everything's screwed up. They're going to hate us and persecute us like they persecuted you and you're leaving. (laughs) It's just great. Okay, where were we? But it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he, listen, he, not you, not me, he will convict the world of sin. Christians don't convict the world of sin. Holy Spirit does. And he convicts them of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is already judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. And he will take care of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take care of mine and declare it to you. Amen? Amen. Lord, I, I pray that you would make sense of all this for all who are present. Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us, Holy Spirit, what your role is and what ours is. I pray that you'd reveal to us the power of prayer and why we practice prayer. And Lord, I, I pray that you would reveal to us the role we have in a fallen world that we look at John and he writes more than any other author with this Greek word cosmos, speaking of the world. This idea that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But then to say that do not love the world, it just seems like a contradiction. And God, help us. We're confused and we, we just need your wisdom. And so by your truth, which is absolute, I pray that you'd minister to us now in accordance with your riches in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a seat, relax. Jesus says in John 16, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. That's comforting to me. This has been a rough week probably for some of you. You know, I, I, I'm 51 years old. I, I'm looking at my children, my grandson. I'm looking at a nation in crisis. I'm troubled because what I inherited from my parents is not what I'm giving to my kids. I grew up in a world where I could wander the streets. My parents never worried about me. They never went looking for me. They were never concerned that I'd be abducted. That would never happen today. There's concern every waking moment for the sake of our kids. I grew up in a world where I remember praying in public schools. I remember there was nobody in the group that I affiliated with whose parents were divorced. That's, That's the absolute opposite today. The shocker is that most of the kids that our kids hang out with, they're wondering why their parents aren't divorced because everyone else's are. This is a, a culture where they're dealing with transgender bathroom bills and, and, and all kinds of things. Our, our kids are, there, there's, even the history that's taught in the schools is, is different than what I, I learned. There, there's a, a direct attempt to influence an entire generation. 
When I grew up, prior to 73, there was no Roe v. Wade. Abortion was, was with the exception, not the rule. Today, it's the rule, not the exception. It's a right now. Whereas before, it was, it was considered not right. We're, we're watching as the, the world we grew up in is completely different than the world our kids are in. And, and what is our response? Our reaction is, you know, we've got to protect what's remaining. You know, build the defenses, uh, muster our forces, fight. And we're losing those. We think, well, you know, part of the body of Christ, we studied this last week, and I, I said it was my opinion, and on Wednesday night I went a little dip, bit deeper in the study, but I, I gave you my opinion about boycotts. Body of Christ formulating together to boycott businesses that, that operate in the antithesis of what we believe, and we're not going to give them our money, and, and we, we're going to fight. And, and, and we're, trying, we're trying to do the best we can. We're trying to make the place better for our kids, and we don't know how to do it. And we feel like we're losing and, and this week, I, I don't know if you, I, I wouldn't even encourage you to Google it, which I know you're all going to do it. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't think of a pink elephant. <laughs> the man's name is Dan Savage. His, his name to me is fitting. He is sponsored by Frito-Lay. His 501c3 is sponsored by Frito-Lay that makes Doritos. That you have the new rainbow-colored Doritos. And he is um, a militant activist for the LGBT and the gay community. And, and the part that, that I struggle with as far as Savage is concerned is he is vile. He attacks people uh, verbally. He calls for awful things. I've listened to him. I've, I've, I've watched his videos. They're, they're vile, X-rated. He attacks people I know that are my friends. What he said about Mike Huckabee, it, it angers me. I have a visceral reaction to the way th- that he spoke in relation to my friend. What he said about Rick Santorum. He's made it into the slang dictionary for Santorum's name to depict a homosexual act that's vile, to, to equate that name and, and, and what he's doing. And you have a major corporately traded company in America that sponsors his organization of hatred and intolerance and bigotry. And, and we as a Christian community are looking at this and saying, what, how, do we, how, how do we deal with this? He's attacking my friends. And he's brutal in his description. And, and I, I, I read John 15 and the idea is that we're to provide fruit for these folks. And, and, and we're to love one another. As Christ loved us while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And he goes further to describe in John 15 that when you do this, they're going to hate you. Well, that's real pleasant. And they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And just to make matters even more intense, I'm leaving. But it's to your benefit that I go. <laughs> that needs to be on a laugh track. But I'm going to send another who's going to comfort you. Well, I certainly hope so. Because this is very discomforting. We're going to be persecuted. They're going to hate us and you're leaving. 
And, and, the, and the idea of, of him leaving and saying, you know, it's to your benefit. It's frustrating. But then he says, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Well, quite frankly, I'm struggling. I don't understand it, Lord. We live in a representative form of government. I want to see godly examples established. I want to see lives protected. I want to see marriage honored. I, I want to see babies live. I, I, I want this. And yet I find myself, they're the enemy and it's war. And you're telling me to love them. And I'm thinking, well, you can love them on the, uh, on the micro, but not on the macro. You know, in the micro, you establish relationships and you love them locally, but when it comes to ideas on the macro, you, you fight them. That doesn't work either because the macro affects the micro. It's all intertwined. And I'm, I'm struggling, I'm stumbling, as it were, in the darkness for an answer. And I have people saying, I, we need to boycott Frito-Lay. We need to boycott Starbucks. I've been alive 51 years, half of my life I'm a Christian. I can guarantee you in the 25 years I've, more that I've been walking as a Christian, I have been asked by the body of Christ and the leadership to boycott pretty much everything I've ever found pleasant. <laughs> you name the company, I've been asked to boycott and to have the congregation boycott. I've participated in some. Some have been successful, others haven't. And I'm looking saying, well, what in the world is the answer? Because as far as ideas are concerned, whatever it is we hold to be true isn't happening. And the Lord said, I, I'm, I'm telling you these, I'm, I'm speaking this to you in John 16 that you would not be made to stumble. I want to help you. Okay, Lord, then help me. And he says, well, here's, here's I'm going to help you. And he says in verse 2, he says, uh, you're going to be put out of the synagogues. You're going to be put out of the places of authority. <laughs> Boot you. <ya. laughs> Okay, I, all I can tell you by that statement is I'm stumbling even more. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that they're doing a favor for God. Allah Akbar. I'm sorry, I'm still stumbling. Can you pick it up a little bit? These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. Yeah, I know that. But how do we fix that? These things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you them. Okay, I got that. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But you're no longer here. Holy Spirit, what do we do? Now I go away and to him who sent me. Okay, yeah, we know Jesus went to the Father. It would be nice if you were here. We sure could use your help. Mm. Heal some blind people. Perform some miracles. Get these people aligned. Straighten it out a little bit. And where I'm going, none of you are going to ask me because you know where I am. Well, we do know that. You're with the Father. And by the way, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being mean. I'm, I'm expressing it by the struggle that I'm assuming many of us have. Yes. Okay. Jesus says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Yeah. Nevertheless. Okay, I like that word. Nevertheless, all that. Okay, what now? He says, I tell you the truth. Praise the Lord. Truth is good. It is to your advantage that I go away. All right, tell me why. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, the helper, the Holy Spirit. But if I depart, I will send him to you, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin. Because they have not believed in me and of righteousness because I go to my Father and and you see me no more and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. How do we know he's judged? Our founding fathers understood it was natural law. We're bound by it, all of us. After a while, people start to realize that when we try to do things contrary to what God says, it breaks down. And people say, well, hmm, I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, Jesus goes further. He says, Verse 12, I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now let's stop there for a minute because this is where the room is divided and people struggle. And and I I went to college and I I remember having professors that I'd hear this in the secular school. I was at Fresno State, Harvard, the San Joaquin Valley. I remember this. You know, they'd say uh, things like, all truth is relative, all truth is relative. My question would be, is that relatively true or absolutely true? <laughs> they would say things like, there are no absolute truths. Again, my response would be, well, is that absolutely true? Do you see the stupidity of it? Well, that's true for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. That's my favorite. I'm glad for you, but that, that doesn't apply to me. Is that true for the both of us? That, that one you've got to put in your pocket for later. <laughs> the truth is not objective. Well, is that statement of truth objective that you just stated? There is no truth. Is that true? already studied this. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. No man comes to the Father but by me. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. It's not the spirit who testifies of the truth. He is the spirit of truth. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, is the truth and counter distinction to all others. There are moral absolutes. There are truths that we're bound by. We're all bound by gravity, whether we believe it or not. There are absolute truths. And I love the truth. And I'm grateful for the truth. And I want to raise my children in the love and the admonition of the truth. And the truth is unyielding. And the truth is intolerant. Did you know that? I don't don't think that's true. Yes, the truth is intolerant. There are a lot of numbers in the universe, aren't there? Yeah, of course. Trillions. Gillions. And and I I like a lot of the numbers. 11's my favorite number. I like 11. 11's a cool number. 11 times 3, 33. Divided by itself, 3. It's just neat. I like it. It's a fun number. It's like two ones. But you just said truth is intolerant and truth is unyielding. Well, yes, it is. Your math teacher will agree with me. My son's taking math. He's a little bit higher in the equations that he practices. But imagine he takes a test. Three plus three is... And he, you know, my favorite number is four. 
I love the number four. He puts four. Teacher says, three plus three is six. You got that wrong. Oh, no. There's so many numbers in the universe. Why is six the only answer? I mean, maybe six is good for you. But I feel like it should be four. Teacher says, well, I feel like giving you an F. Truth is unyielding and intolerant. That doesn't mean Christians have to be. What do you mean, pastor? Because the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life and because we love the truth, we think we have a corner on the market and our ability to execute it. And we draw that line. You're either on the bus or off the bus. And when we see the destruction of truth out in the world, it angers us. We want to fight. But let me share with you something that we need to grasp here. The rooms are divided again. In the room are Christians. And also in the room are non-Christians. In the Greek, in the olden days, they called the folks that didn't believe in Christ pagan, meaning a different God. We're Christians. For those of us in the room who are Christians, we are Christians because we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's by grace through faith that we've been saved. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Amen. And what makes us righteous is not what we've done, but what Christ has done. Which means that the flesh represented by the Christians in this room is just as vile as the flesh of the pagans represented in the room. And I have seen what some of you Christians, including myself, are capable of, and it is vile. And I know left to my own accord, I am a vile human being. And if you think that I'm the only one, I'm in good company. The Apostle Paul said of himself, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. So, where does that leave us? Well, our righteousness as Christians is not due to us obeying the truth. You are not righteous because you obeyed the truth. That doesn't make you special. There's nothing special about you because you obey the truth. But what makes you special is submitting to the truth and agreeing with the truth that we have no way apart from God to obey the truth other than receiving Jesus Christ. All you're simply doing as a Christian is saying, I'm just as vile as the man next to me, and I am admitting that, and I am submitting to the truth that in me dwells no good thing, and if I have any hope in this world, it's Jesus Christ. So the person next to you hasn't embraced Christ, they're still stuck in the sin that you're still struggling with. The only difference is you've been cleansed, they haven't. Because you've received that gift by faith, through grace. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You are not righteous because of your observation of the law. We don't obey the law to be saved. We obey the law because we are saved. We don't do it out of obligation, but out of adoration. I don't go home every night to my wife because I have a wedding ring and I said some words in front of a minister. I go home because I love her. 
It's the relationship God has given us with himself. What does that do for us? Well, in the text in John 16, when he said, I'm sending another helper and he's going to come to you and I will send him to you. And when he comes, he, he, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. What does that mean? That means it's not your job or mine. It's not your job or mine. We can never convict a sinner. We can irritate them. We can rebuke them. We can fight with them, which never seems to bring conviction, just irritation, and they don't want to be around us. Because a gentle answer turns away wrath. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. And we love to be angry instead of love. We can rebuke, we can speak, we can witness to a sinner, but only the Holy Spirit can convict a sinner. And here's my question. We are so quick to formulate a boycott instead of a prayer meeting. I can't get people to pray. Yet the God of all wisdom, the God of all truth, is waiting to give us an answer on how to deal with the world out there to love them. And he says, speak the truth in love. We want to speak the truth. We don't want any love. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. He says, speak it with love. It's a balance. How do I do that? Ask me. You have not because you ask not. How do you ask? You pray. I'd rather do a boycott. I want to formulate the forces of mankind and I want to move with the Christian army to on Christian soldiers. Sorry, some people are frustrated. We want to move forward. Every time the church has had the sword, we have ruined this world. Jesus was before Pilate. Pilate said, what is truth? I don't even know how he asked him, what is truth? What is truth? (laughs) What is truth? He was standing before the embodiment of truth. The totality of truth. and, And Pilate looked, he says, don't you know I have the ability to incarcerate you or set you free? Jesus says, you have no power but what my father has given to you. He says, why don't, you, why don't you command your forces? He says, my, my, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I would have them fight. He was standing before authority and yielding to the cross and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That confuses my heart. I'm saddened by what we're losing and convicted by what I'm not doing. And I don't know the balance between moving forward in truth and embracing the world in love. When the scripture says that he will convict, he will reprove the world of sin. The word translated in the Greek means to prove guilt to such a degree as to bring an acknowledgement of the truth of the charge brought against that person by the accuser, which means the Holy Spirit has this unbelievable way of saying, Sal, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and you go, you know what, Lord, I agree with you. Now that I see it, what you're accusing me of, I'm guilty of. That's, that's the tenderness of the Holy Spirit when he brought us to the end of ourselves and we said, God, I am a sinner. 
And he has this, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his tenderness that moves in our life to do this. We as Christians can bring Christ to men, but only God can bring man to Christ. I say this because like you, I'm struggling and I'm burdened. How do you speak the truth and love the sinner? Hate the sin, love the sinner. I am so nauseated by that because I see the absolute opposite. I know that we don't love the sinner because we're not engaging the Holy Spirit by prayer and asking for wisdom how to love them. We come up with our own plans and ideas. We want to establish our power and our authority. Yet we don't allow our hearts to be broken. I struggle. I got a letter. I got a letter as a city councilman. I get a lot of these. I've removed the names and the addresses to protect the innocent. And when I read this letter to you, I'm going to read it the way I received it when I started to read it. It was not the intention of the author of this letter for it to sound this way, but that's exactly how I heard it. And to my great joy, the person who wrote the letter is really a lovely person. But at the time of reading it, I confess I did not feel that way. Hear the letter and tell me if it ministers to you. Yesterday, someone installed some sort of solar panel on my road just north of my house. Why? Why? That's how I read it. Why? (sighs) Was any investigation or planning done before placement? There definitely was no notification given to the homeowners. As of 12 noon today, the blinding, and I mean retina-destroying light, shined directly into our living room windows, our bathroom window, and our master bedroom windows. This afternoon, we discovered that we cannot walk around in those rooms. We haven't even tried to go out into the yard yet. You have made our home uninhabitable, exclamation point. You will either have to build a wall across our backyard at least 10 feet high and install special light-out drapes in all the rooms or remove said solar fixture. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of work. I, didn't, I just wanted to be the councilman. I guess I got to build a wall now. I don't even know how to do a wall. You've destroyed the pleasure of our home and garden. You, you. That's me. I don't even know you. I don't even know where you live. I didn't put that there. Why are you so mean? And we will have to pay taxes now for trying to exist in an uninhabitable home. This light fixture needs to be removed immediately, exclamation point. Do not take this lightly. We are not laughing, but very angry. Half our home is now off limits. In 24 hours, we have gone from loving our home to losing half of it. Please phone. Better yet, come and sit in our living room any afternoon soon and enjoy having your eyesight destroyed. We will serve you tea while you go blind. (laughs) This is the best part. We expect an answer from you within 24 hours or less. Honey, I can't come home. I gotta build a wall. I gotta get blackout drapes. I don't wanna go blind. I've ruined their home. I don't even know where they live, but I ruined it. I read that 
I read that. And I'm like, you don't even... And, and I, I wanted to get a, you know, this is awful. So I read it to my cohort, my, my you know, my, a, a, someone who I know is to speak truth into my life. And this one, I, they're going to agree with me and go, what a jerk. I go, Pastor Brett, listen to this. And I read it to him. He goes, praise the Lord. They got such a great sense of humor, don't they? What planet are you from, man? They're vile. No, they're, they, in their retina-destroying blindness, they were able to give you vision to see their situation. What is wrong with you? You're a Pollyanna. Everything's happy. I just want to shake bread. He's big. He goes, you want to call him back and tell him thank you for the humor. He let's pray right now. I don't want to pray. I want to kill them. Come on, let's pray. We pray. He goes, call him, bro. Bro. Thanks, bro. I call him up. You know what? The Holy Spirit, when Brett asked the Holy Spirit, the complete embodiment of wisdom, while we prayed, I picked up that phone, and do you know he was exactly, and I hate to say that's right. Mm, mm. The person was delightful. And they were hurt, they were struggling, but they, they just wanted to emphasize with joy. And they started laughing. I said, well, I have to tell you, it, it did make my dad was cracking up. I, I put a voice to it and I emphasized it. And, and they were laughing and I followed up and I called them. And it actually wasn't even the city's fault. Yeah. I let them know that. I just threw that in there because I don't know if Brett would have. And then one more, just to emphasize my struggle with the world. I'm at a council meeting. And, and they always bring people forward and they talk about their events and how they want the city council members to come. And quite honestly, every Saturday, there's something I'm supposed to go to. And we need the city council member there. And we would like a representation there. And we just, so, you know, my Saturdays are shot now. And, and not in a bad way. I mean, I'm really getting to know people and I love the Eagle Scout Court of Honors. And, but they said they were doing this thing, you know, the uh, Conejo history and they were doing it at the Stagecoach Inn and, and they had presented, and, and, and Wyatt, um, oh, the actor, um, Wyatt McRae, the grandson of Joel McRae, came and he spoke. I really liked Wyatt. He was a neat guy. And they said, you know, we're going to be doing depictions of some of the old uh, members that founded the city, Pedersen and the like, and, and people are going to be acting, and, and he's going to be playing his grandfather. I thought, you know, okay. And, and the lady who came up after Wyatt was like, and we've never had a city council person come to any of our events, and we would just once again encourage you to come. Sounded just like my mom. I'm like, okay, I'll come. I'll just, you know, I just, the guilt, okay, I'll come. And I go, honey, you want to go? She goes, no. You know, she gets it. I'm like, well, I got to go. I'm city councilman. I got to go. And I go to this thing, and, and, and I'm the youngest person by 30 or 40 years. And, and I'm there for the very first tour, and, and we go through it, and and the actors are really good. A couple of them screwed up. They were young kids, and they had a giggle fest. And I actually found that humorous because they couldn't get their lines out. They were laughing so hard, and they didn't even know how to fix it. And, and one member of our congregation, uh, Tim Moriarty, really good actor. He did Pedersen, and he nailed it. And, I, and it was intriguing, and I was drawn by it. I learned a lot of the history of the area and, and got all the way down. And, and 
the first veterinarian that worked at Jungle Land, and he was depicted and all that. And then we go in for a little reception in the Anderson Hall at the Stagecoach Inn to have, you know, treats. And I, just 20 bucks, so I'm like, I'm going to get my fill. <laughs> and I walk in, and there's the docents, and they're saying hello, and they introduce themselves. They have their name badge, and I say, I'm Rob, Rob McCoy. And they, oh, you're the councilman. Uh, well, pastor, councilman, uh, what's wrong, you know? <laughs> And one of the ladies says, well, if anything goes wrong, you'll be hearing from me. I'm like, I just came to your event and you're dumping on me and I've never even met you. I'm like, come on. That was on the inside. I said, oh, praise the Lord. Bless you. I'll just go on home now. This is, this is the frustration. You're in the world, but not of the world. And every person you respond to with love, but with truth and tenderness. And if, it, if it's not going to fit it, don't speak it. And a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. An offended brother is harder one than a fortified city. God, give me wisdom. And I'm praying, Lord, calm my heart. Help me to love this person. Show me the best way to bring fruit of the Spirit into their life. How, how can I present joy and peace and patience and kindness and long-suffering? God, show me. Help me, I'm praying. This is the gift God's given us. The Holy Spirit is there saying, Rob, I'll walk you through Anderson Hall. I will be, ask me. I'll show you how to talk to him. And the fascinating thing is, every time you spark a conversation after having prayed, there's an inroad to touch their lives. Every single time. And the Lord is clearly saying, it's to your advantage that I go away. I'm giving you a helper. He will convict the world of sin. You don't have to worry about that. He is the spirit of truth. And I close with this last thought. And I've got 10 minutes and I wanted to emphasize it. Because it's an overarching theme that has been hammering me as I've been going through the book of John. And I struggle. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. I know what is right. I see what is wrong happening every day. I saw what Dan Savage said about my friends. I've, I've heard the call for the boycott of Doritos with the rainbow Doritos and that Frito-Lay sponsors Dan Savage and his organization and, and the things he says are vile and I, I see it all. And I, I know on Sunday I shared with you about boycotting. It was my opinion and a lot of other things. Wednesday I went into a deeper study and now as I'm going through what Jesus is saying in John 16, you know, I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't even want you to nod your head. I don't want you to crinkle your face. I don't even want an expression in any way, shape, or form. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm going to pose to you a couple questions. And I want you not to do anything. Do not do anything. I want you to labor with this as I've labored. Okay? Here we go. Hypothetical. You have a son who has never embraced Jesus Christ, has rejected your faith, never even embraced it, has moved out of the house and has been living with his girlfriend for over seven years. They want to come home for Christmas and they want to stay in the same room together in your home. Don't say anything. What do you do? In my case, you have a lesbian sister. Her life partner, they want to come visit for the holidays. They stay together, they want to stay together in, in the same room. What do you do? 
They want you to come to their wedding. Do you applaud at this homosexual wedding? Do you applaud when they say, I do? Or do you remain seated when the rest stand? What do you do? They don't profess Christ. Think about the Frito-Lay and the Dan Savage. Do you boycott or don't you? I want you to think of issues that you labor with because this is how we're stumbling. This is what is so troubling. And we're losing. We're, we're being kicked out of the places of influence, the synagogues, the seats of government. We're being kicked out. What is the answer? We're stumbling and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has been given to us as a comforter to walk us through this process. Now tell me the answer, but don't do it. I, you don't have it. And I got news for you. The room is completely divided. You think you have the answer and there are believers in this room and the room is completely divided. And I'll tell you how it's divided. The older folks in the room are saying, no. And the younger ones are going, probably. Why is the room divided in the body of Christ? Here's why. Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is the parable of the wheat and the tares. A man planted a wheat field and some enemy went in and sprinkled uh, weeds, tares, into the wheat at night all over the place. And when the water and the crop and they all started to grow together and the tares look just like the wheat when they're young and their roots are all intertwined. And the man comes to the, the owner and he says, somebody's done this. He says, well, and he says, I'll, I'll pull out the tares. He says, no, you can't pull out the tares. Matthew 13, 24 through 30, you can read it. But the master said this, no, you can't pull them out lest while you gather up the tares, you'll uproot the wheat with them. You see, when I was growing up, we prayed in schools. When I was growing up, there was no divorce. Your kids have been sown with the tares. They've grown up with transgender bathrooms. They've grown up with divorces on their neighborhood. They've grown up being indoctrinated with all the tares of the world. All the roots are intertwined. And you're, they're living this. They're, they're ingrained in it. You want to pull it up. You want to show them. And they can't even relate to the church. And they're watching, well, that's my friend. I go to school with them. And you pull that up and you destroy their heart for faith. And they look and they say, where's your love? And you're looking and going, where's your truth? And we're all divided. What's the answer? Well, this one rocked my world. I didn't like it any more than any of you will like it. Some of you will be going, oh, that's awesome. But most of us will be going, Stumbling, as it were, in the darkness, trying to find an answer, frustrated by being kicked out of the realms of influence, struggling with what's happening to my friends and the savagery of Dan Savage, struggling that Jesus isn't here to resolve it. Nevertheless, this, it's advantageous to me that he would go away and give me a helper. And he would go on to declare that that helper would convict the world of sin, that it's not my job, it's his, and of righteousness and of judgment. And he's going to guide me into all truth. And so I take him at his word that I just read and I say, Holy Spirit, would you help me? I gotta stand in front of a congregation. I gotta stand in front of the young people. I gotta stand in front of the older people. I got a room divided. I got people who wanna boycott. I got people who wanna love. I got people, Lord, please. What's the answer? He takes me to 1 Corinthians chapter five. And I just wanna set the stage for you. 
the church in Corinth. This was a city inundated in every level with idolatry. A thousand temple prostitutes every night would come out of the city or come down from the temple into the city. Women and, and their daughters, mothers and daughters, would all be required twice a year to, to, to participate in this, and they would go into the city, and they would, they would practice prostitution. Every family had been affected. There was no vestige of Christian anything. There was no seminary, no radio station, no bookstores, nothing. And this church plant starts up in Corinth. The whole city is in, in just decadent. And, and these people have come out of the world into the church. And Paul is decrying the immorality of the church. And he's looking at them and he's saying, you know, you guys are drunk during communion. You can read this, 1 Corinthians 5. You're drunk during communion. You, you, I have a man sleeping with his father's wife. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit were active. The church was operating. And, and they're, they're in the midst of a decrepit city. And it's completely influenced by evil. And I, I start reading in 1 Corinthians 5. And I get to verse 9. Verse 9 says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. I'm like, yes! Right there! Boom! Boycott! Boom! Boycott! Let's go! Onward! Let's do it. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. And then verse 10 hit me. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world. What? Yeah. I didn't even mean that you shouldn't keep company with the sexually immoral of this world, or even the covetous of this world, or the extortioners of this world, or the idolaters of this world, since you would then need to go out of the world. I'm sending you into it. Well, then who do you want me... What sexually immoral people am I supposed to not keep company with? Well, I've written to you, verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. The Lord is basically saying, uh, why are you shocked that the sinful world is filled with sinners? And I've told you to go out there and reach him. And you want to define your righteousness by what you don't do and saying we're better than them. And God says, the only thing I've ever given you the ability to judge is not them, but yourself. The only person I'm permitted to judge is the church. The only person you're permitted to judge is the church. And we're all in the church. Why? Well, because we have the truth. And we have the ability, not in none of ourselves, but the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him. And we're not righteous because, because we have the truth. We're righteous because of what Jesus did. We're not righteous because we do what's right. We're righteous because of what Jesus did. The Christian's flesh in this room is just as vile as the non-Christian's flesh in this room. And the only hope for any of us in this room is to submit to the Lord so that the world can see that what we're saying actually matches what we're doing. And the fruit that we're producing would draw them. And they'd want to have a part of the fellowship. They're not impressed with us defining how good we are because we are depicting how bad they are. He says, go keep company with them. 
And you know what the word company means? Do business with them. Have friendships. Go next door. Eat with them. But the people in the church that declare that Christ is their savior, that are practicing immorality and flaunting it, those are the ones that you address in Matthew 18 to say, look, change your ways or move on. But don't defile the beauty of this, this phone call we're getting. Don't defile the beauty of this fellowship that declares the truth of Christ with your hypocrisy. Because it doesn't impress the world. And then Paul says, and I'm almost finished, for what have I to do with judging those who are on the outside? Do you not judge those who are on the inside? But those who are on the outside, God judges. That's what John 16 says. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. God judges those on the outside. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person in the body of Christ. Next week, in the, two, in the three weeks following... We're going to see the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer. How when we abide in prayer, and if we really want to see our lives make an absolute change in this world, we will understand the power of prayer. Jesus is going to say in John 17, his last priestly prayer before he's crucified, and he's going to depict for us the power of that. I'll give you a preview. Jesus says in verse 14 of Matthew 17, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. Our job is to shine. Salt penetrates, light radiates. And we have to encourage one another to repent and live for Christ. And then we go out there and we love them unconditionally. And we keep company with them. And our righteousness is not depicted by who we don't associate with. Our righteousness is depicted by what Christ has done and we hold in the body of Christ each other accountable to yield to that and then love the world. Judge ourselves, love the world. Judge ourselves, love the world. If you read this any differently as a Berean, come and talk to me. I'm just telling you, like you, I'm trying to figure it out. But I don't see boycott written in there. I see repentance and submission and prayer and the power of God for truth and love and wisdom and discernment. I see power through submission. I see power through prayer. Father, forgive them. God help me every time you come in front of somebody who writes you a letter like that person wrote me pray that God would send by his Holy Spirit the wisdom of of a brother who would convict you or I, I would say exhort you by his obedience to the Lord to see it through the eyes of God I pray that God would bring Brett's into your life and that you would be a Brett Could you imagine if Brett had said, what a vile, awful letter. That person doesn't deserve to be in our community. But because I listened to the Lord 
as he had given me counsel through my brother, through his word, I now gained a friend that I now have the ability to speak truth into this person's life. Don't define yourselves by what you don't do. Examine your life before the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit bring conviction and we go out there with wisdom and truth and love in a balance. And God will use us profoundly and powerfully in Jesus' name. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, even as you prayed, you said, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one in the world. We are not of the world just as Christ was not of the world. But we're to be sanctified by your truth, and your word is true. We're justified, just as if we'd never sinned. But our hearts are yielded in sanctification as we're gifted by you, Holy Spirit with truth and love and a balance that touches lost lives. Father God, you have not forsaken the world. To the contrary, you've sent your children into the world to love in truth. And I ask that you would give us wisdom to examine our lives before your word, that we would yield in submission and then in love touch lives that our lives would declare the truth and our love would mix with that truth to touch human hearts and Lord Jesus we pray that you would save and use us for your glory in Jesus name Amen. Amen